Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nice, and we've got an absolute banger for you today. Torino Adriatico Stage 2 recap, as well as Paris-Nice Stage 5 Healthy Aging Tour. Apparently, the weather in Holland, in the north of Holland, has been outrageously windy. Um, not even like, oh, would be good for echelons, but more the level of it's unsafe for anybody to be outside windy. So that's been postponed the ITT until, I think, Oh, 1400, 1500, or maybe even 1600 uh, time there. And I'm not even sure if it's going to go ahead. So obviously um, that doesn't fit with our schedule with Benji working and me being in Australia. So we'll recap that tomorrow if that stage is able to go ahead. Uh, but first of all, we'll do Torreno, which was a crazy stage. Then Paranese, separate YouTube videos for those, but one big podcast on the podcast players. Apologies for yesterday, our podcast... Uh, distribution software failed us, not for the first time, but hopefully the last. Um, but that's been rectified now with all the other races put up in the one file on the podcast players. Um, but this Torreno stage, Benji, 201 Ks, are just very difficult to figure out who could win it yesterday. Me and you, we had picked about 10 different people who had a chance. <laughs> a lot of elevation in the last third of it, uh, particularly they had the... Uh, what was it called? Castiano climb, four and a half Ks at 6%, then a narrow descent, and the Croce straight afterwards, three and a half Ks at 7%, then a rolling plateau, then a short climb up to Monticiano, and then uh, about three, four Ks of flat, and then this, I think, two, and oh, I think it's more like a 5K or 5K climb proper, if you don't count the 2Ks of false flat before, but 5Ks at about 4%, 3.5% to the finish line, with the last K being about 5% gradient. Um, so we threw out a lot of names yesterday. Can you remember who we said? I think you might have said some more punchy riders than I did. I was looking more at Wout van Aert. Yeah, I think you said Wout van Aert. I mentioned Vanderpool. We were in doubt who was going to be taking the lead at the Koenig, knowing that they've got Almeida, Ballerini, and Alaphilippe. So we were pretty unsure on who they were going to pick, knowing that this finish line could generally kind of fit all three of them. And we'll see throughout the stage if that played out for any of the three. I think those were the real names we mentioned. We named quite a few others, but I think we were pretty clear that it would be Wout van Aert or, or Van der Poel. So uh, yeah, we'll talk about it. But uh, the stage started off. Um, it's the typical Tireno breakaway, to be honest. Simon Pelot, Burkhard, Albanese, Archibald, Velasco van Speybrook, few Italians to get the KOM points and so forth, and that was the case once again. Albanese from Aeolo Cometa, he came over from Baradiani, I think, in previous years. He's in the lead of the KOM jersey after today's stage, so took quite a bit of points. He's now, I think, two points ahead of Bacalans, who took quite a bit of points yesterday. So uh, that's the standing of the KOM points, but this breakaway was going nowhere. The peloton was keeping it relatively under control. Yumbo was pacing pretty hard throughout the stage just to keep that 
on a solid margin. Um, I think the action really started once we went into the uh, the crotch climb that we're speaking about, well, just a second ago and also yesterday. That's the climb a good 30 kilometers before the end that is likely to go and make the real differences. But we actually saw a bit of a move before it already, and that's yeah a bit of a surprise, I guess. We saw that Bonifazio was launching in the descent pretty much in the similar way that he did I think in Milano San Remo a few years ago where he had yeah. to apologize because he uh, was displaying something that other people were copying outside of the sport. He uh, tried to rejoin the breakaway there. We had Lotto trying to close that down from the peloton. Kwiatkowski made a bit of a surge there at the front of the peloton, tried to move out, made that attempt. And we also saw during that moment that the real guns that were expected to be at the front on the Croce climb to defend their position and their attack the other favorites were moving up. The likes of Andre Poole, Vanard were already in a good position there. I think that Yumbo didn't have too many people left there, right? I think they had only like two to three people left for the team. Yeah, Rusin was dropping back. Uh, he was still in the group, but I think dropping back. They had Tobias Foss, I think, but I didn't really see him at the front. Uh, so, yeah, when Kwiatkowski started pacing really hard on Kroce, it started to cause problems for them. And, and UAE too, too, to be honest, like... I think me and you are quick to criticize Jumbo Visma a lot, but mainly because we think they have the legs. But UAE as well, struggling to control things for Pagacha too. Uh, did you mention Benji Sagan at 45? So, yeah, Sagan, uh, I picked him to be top three today, hoping more hopeful that he'd be back at sort of peak Sagan level. But, uh, yeah, he got dropped with 45Ks to go. So the fitness is obviously not there at the moment, perhaps. Yeah, the easy bunch sprint yesterday was just that a lot easier than today's stage. Um, but yeah, where do we get to, Benji? You said Bonifacio. It's now time for the Bernal big attack. Yes, yes, yes. Moving on to the last 35 kilometers, Kwiatkowski had made that move, had surged already, and it was time for Egan Bernal to try something. Pretty pretty solid attack, to be honest. And I don't know. I, I always feel like attacking like on this section of the parkour is likely to go nowhere. But I think that the entire situation is that you need someone with you. Bernal can't attack there and make it alone. And I think that was also kind of a problem there as well for him. I think Osgren followed him for a bit. The Bust followed him. Vermeer was trying to attack to close the gap. But those are not really the names that you would expect trying to counter Bernal for GC. Du Bois was sitting on. He wasn't pulling for Wellens. Askren was pulling. Um even though they had Philippe behind. Ballerini had been dropped, so we thought it might be Ballerini today. He got, I think they were, he was working earlier, um, but they were riding for Philippe today and Almeida, quick step. Uh, but yeah, they, they got a decent gap, but it was more that it it split the race open. Like, yeah, they, yep. weren't, they only got five to 10 seconds, but then all these other riders saw Jumbo Visma struggling or no one really controlling things and attacks started pinging off the front. Mark Soler... Quinn Simmons, Igita, Vermeesh, Benji already mentioned, Bill Bow, Andre Zeitz, Tim Wellens trying to bridge across to his teammate, Jasper de Boist. Really, like, really good to see. Even also, even Yates and Almeida, I think Benji um, had attacked at that point. So, like, having GC contenders, definitely Yates, Bernal, maybe Sivakov and Almeida, you might count them. GC contenders attacking with 30k's to go is great to see. Um, why do you think Bernal attacked there, Benji? Like, what's what's the rationale for that? If when Pagacha is not attacking there, 
I find it difficult. I think that this finish doesn't really fit Bernal to take home the victory. And I think that attacking here isn't going to lay him vulnerable for the finish because the finish is, it's not the easiest finish, but it's also not the finish where you will lose 30 seconds to a minute if you have a bit of a bad day as a Bernal. So I think that it's a pretty riskless move looking at the other side of the mountain towards the finish line that there's not really too much area for a Pogacar to drop a Bernal afterwards if it fails. It's unlikely to get countered on this. And eventually he did really get countered. He got caught back up by the peloton. And we indeed had an attack from Yates, Sivakov, Landa and Almeida. And that was really the group that actually got a bit of a margin on the peloton. I think it was a good 10 seconds earlier on. And then it started enlarging to 20, 25 seconds, but not really more than that. Who was pacing at the peloton at that moment? Was it Jumbo with Foss? Yeah. Jumbo had Foss and Rusin, I think. Uh, maybe it was just Foss at that point. And then Rusin eventually came back uh, on the flatter sections. But yeah, it was mainly Jumbo Visma. UAE weren't helping particularly. It was Fo- uh, Rusin eventually helping at 20 to go. So a group of Landa, Sivakov, Almeida, Simon Yates. Really unusual group like a mixture of GC contenders yep. and second-tier GC contenders on their own teams, possibly like Almeida and uh, Sivakov. So I know that's why this race is so good, Toronto Adriatico. A stage like this, it was just like impeccable stage design and the riders here made the most of it as well. There was some weird intermediate sprint um, <laughs> confusion with 15 or 14 Ks to go. They'd drawn like, looked like a child had drawn with some chalk on the road and it wasn't even sig- signaled that there was an intermediate sprint and Sivakov took three seconds ahead of yeah, the but under. Yeah. There's more than that because it was so confusing for the front four riders because on paper, it was supposed to be 500 meters past the 15K mark, 14.5K to go. Now, I think that Sivakov saw that it wasn't. It was before the 15K mark and not on the 15K mark, but like 10 meters in front of it. <laughs> So Sivakov launches, we see Simon Yates responding to that. Almeida's at the back like, huh? what's happening here? Then Landos, yeah, he Landos sprinting, but he can't really do that very well. So he's kind of just following in their wheel. And Sivakov and Yates are like signaling each other while sprinting, like, well, what are you doing, man? Come on. And we see that Sivakov stops sprinting at the line that it is the actual intermediate sprint. So Sivakov on paper would take the points, I think, ahead of Yates and Landa, but Almeida was like, no, 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 it's a 15k mark, that's gonna be the end of the sprint for me. So he launches past everybody and decides to stop sprinting just at the 15k mark, but obviously that's nothing. I don't know, if I'm the Koenig in this situation, I generally ask to void. It should be an old, yeah, I think so. You can't just draw it in chalk (laughs) on like a kilometer before it was supposed to be on the road book. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. Imagine if that affected GC at the end of this race. I would I would love to see it. I mean, imagine. Me, me, well, me and you got to have content to talk about and I got to have stuff to make videos about. So just as well, cycling has things like this happening. Um, but yeah, interesting to me, Benji, was, I, I want to talk about this properly. We, we've had Bernal attack, all those attacks going up the road. Juan Van Aas had his Jumbo Visma teammates initially not there, and then they come back on the flatter sections, Rusin. I think we, or I particularly, have accused Jumbo Visma of being inflexible 
a lot of the times. I think their plan in the bus this morning was control, get to finish, pace while Van Aert, while Van Aert sprints for finish. And that, hey, that is a good plan. A lot of teams would be jealous of that plan because that plan has a very high likelihood of Walvenart coming in the top three at a minimum. Yeah. But when you've got Bernal going, so Ineos won't chase, especially with Sivakov there, Almeida going up the road with Askren, Wellens, Igita and co. And UAE looking like they can't pull the skin off a custard and Pogaccia has to sit <laughs> in. Okay, sorry. Who do you think... If Wafanat is really here for GC, which I think he is, especially with the jersey on his shoulders, and this principle is going to apply to the Tour de France because he's going to have the most likely, I think, the yellow jersey on his shoulders at some point in the first five stages. Once you have the jersey on your shoulders, they're going to defend it because he climbs well enough. Why are you pulling Pagacha back again, who I think is the biggest GC rival to Wafanat or the main GC threat? What When... Wafana's biggest advantage against Pagacha is to get bridge and get into that break and work with that break. Hey, Vanderpool might have come with him. That's yep. great. Work with him. And if Vanderpool beats you for the stage win, but you still got a gap, hey, that's still good. Do am I missing something for why Wafana didn't attack? Now maybe he didn't have the legs, sure. But I, I'm assuming he actually might have, if all these other riders were able to who are not as good as him. Do you think Wavanaugh trying to bridge into that group would have made sense, Benji? It would have made sense. I think it also would have been a logical move at that point. Nothing that if we were in a DS car at that moment, which we really can't do. Like, generally, I couldn't drive a car like that in any way. Then again, a DS should not be driving a car, in our opinion. Um, anyway, if we were making the decision there, I think that I would indeed have said, Van Aert should react because, like you mentioned, Yoi is in that group. They're going to have to react if you do something. And you've got Van der Poel, who will need to react on you. But Van der Poel was a bit in a bad uh, well position yeah. from that point onwards already. I think he was like in 15th wheel or something. During that moment of the race, he came a bit closer towards the end, but it wasn't ideal. We'll speak on it a bit further. And... I think that Vanderpool perhaps wouldn't have not been able to react so easily. <laughs> he might have had to like move up first and then react, which would have had them attack alone. And I don't think it would have worked with a duo attack there just because of that problem. But I do think that doing something with Vanat, opening up a race early, smashing it, is one way to gain seconds on stages like today on GC riders. That's a specialty attacking and doing the unexpected perhaps sometimes as well. And I think, like you mentioned, that Jumbo had a strict plan and kept himself on it. And yeah, they, they kept the peloton in check, but did they bring back the riders in the front? I guess we'll see in a second once we'll go over it. But um, we had indeed those Jumbo riders still creeping up towards that breakaway. The gap was staying the same. Almeida and Sofo were working together relatively well at that point after that little incident that the intermediate sprint and I think that Almeida was likely one of the better engines in that front group, to be honest. In that Yumbo train, well, can't call it train with two to one people then, but they were not really getting too much closer at a certain point. 22 yeah, seconds, it was staying 21 at 20. seconds, I think 13 kilometers to go or so. And yeah. then another team decided to join the party, and that's indeed the team you mentioned just a second ago. Pogacar's team, UAE, started to move up. The likes of Micah in first. Surprises me every single time so far that Micah is ahead of Formula and Balance. Because he's, weak, because he's not as strong as those two. Yeah, 
And that's something you do not expect from the transfer season last last year. We mentioned already that we didn't know how Micah would be as a domestique for someone. I don't remember in his life if he ever domestiqued for anybody, perhaps in the in the Saxo Bank days or something, the Think of days, Saxo Bank. Maybe for Contador like yeah. in twenty fourteen or something, but I can't yeah. remember it either. I was only like six then. Polans is their strongest. Polans is their strongest domestique. He's stronger than Formula right now. I agree. I think he's more consistent and they just trust him way more too. Yep. And I, f- I think we saw that again. Confirmation today with Micah going first, not really getting too much closer. I think he got close to like 17 seconds, but then the gap started going no, up he again. It out. Yeah, it went up again after after a bit. And that's not ideal, obviously, if you're trying to catch someone that the gap goes up. <laughs> Formula in his wheel took over. It got closer, but not totally. It was like a good 15, 14 seconds with Formula at the front. They were already on the last climb, which is that climb that gets exponentially steeper towards the end, but is also not super steep at the end. Yes, 4K to go. 4K to go, about 12, 13 seconds when Formula begins to pull hard. Yes, and then it was Polans taking over, but what did you think at that moment? We saw in the front group Almeida, Sivakov, Yates, and Landa, we're starting to battle a bit. I think that Sivakov was the first to attack. I'm not actually sure at this point. But I think Sivakov was the first to make a little move. We saw Yates respond to that. And I think it was a bit of a, a fight of attrition because Yates was the first one to drop. And he did not only drop from this group. He got caught by the group behind and then got dropped in the group behind. So he's clearly not in the form that I expected from him GC-wise if he has to drop here. But... I guess it's fun that he showed something today. I don't know. <laughs> nah, well, he, he dropped himself. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that looked re- it was really strange. He lost, I don't know what happened, whether he had a mechanical. He lost a minute. He lost a minute and 22 seconds, Benji, after being in a breakaway, clear of five seconds clear of the peloton with 1,200 meters to go. So he literally stopped pedaling. To lose that much time is crazy. Uh, so I don't, know, I don't know what happened with Simon Yates. He cracked really badly. But you know who didn't crack? Almeida, again, the Portuguese sensation. His second attack. He just seems to be able to dig deep into the well multiple times, Almeida. It looked like Fellini for Astana running for Aramburu was going to bring them back. A K to go. Astana would sort of, yeah, they, were, they brought that gap down to four seconds. But Almeida kicked again, brought it out to about five or six seconds. It was getting pretty steep at this point. I couldn't really tell. No one was really taking over. UAE were done. Van der Poel was in really bad position, really deep. He was Astana like, came to the front. Yeah, Astana at the front with Fellini, yep. bringing yep, him sorry. back. But then after Almeida attacked... Um, they pretty much ran out of steam. I think they were running for Aramburu. And it was Geraint Thomas for, I don't know who for Benji. <laughs> for himself, perhaps? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if he, if he thought this was... Uh, where was the stage he beat Pino back-to-back Alpine stages? Um, <laughs> mountain stages in when he like started sprinting with 800 metres to go in the saddle. But, 2018 tour, uh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, in twenty, I can't, but I can't remember the, the mountaintop finish. Yeah, I mean, uh, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it must have been for Bernal though, because I don't really understand it. Because if it's not for Bernal, why are you leading out with Alaphilippe, Wout van Aert, and Mathieu van der Poel in your wheels, and then Bernal? I think maybe Bernal was on uh, Wout van Aert's wheel, and Pagacci was there, and uh, van der Poel was a bit deeper. So, anyway, 
into the last 500. Thomas pulling like crazy. We Thomas pulled was the reason Almeida got caught. Alaphilippe's on Thomas' wheel. He sees we're in the last 300 metres, 250. Almeida's dying. It's pretty steep, 5% gradient. Alaphilippe kicks before they catch Almeida. So Portuguese Twitter is absolutely kicking off right now on the Deconic post. Go and check the Deconic post on Twitter. And they're going to reprise now. Alaphilippe kicks out of the group, looking like he's chasing his own man, but he obviously had to do it. Gets into Almeida's slipstream for a moment and kicks round him in the last 100. He gapped Wild Van Aert a little bit when he initially kicked Julian Alaphilippe. Van der Poel was coming from so deep and Alaphilippe was able to hold onto the line despite Wild Van Aert. I don't know, looking like he left his sprint late, but I think he was actually fatigued. And Van der Poel actually came second behind Alaphilippe, hitting the line super hard. Alaphilippe looked over his right shoulder. He looked like it was like Liège all over again. He's like, ooh, I'd love to deviate, <laughs> but I don't even need to. Posted up about 20 metres too early before the line. <laughs> I love it now. It gave me a heart attack because uh, Van der Poel was charging at him so fast and then hit the yeah. line to come second, Van Aert third. What a finish, Benji, to that stage. Do you think anyone, Alaphilippe had to attack, right? Almeida would have been caught. Yeah, for certain. And I think that it likely would have been Van Der Poel if he didn't attack Alaphilippe because we saw Van Der Poel had a crazy kick, but he started off once again in a terrible position. And it's like become so consistent that we notice that Van Der Poel is in a a pretty bad position before something rather adventurous happens. And this is kind of where you need to be relatively at the front when you're nearing the last kilometer of a stage. And he, he got, I think, seventh wheel or eighth wheel at a certain point into the last corner. And if you're a seventh wheel then and you know that two of the riders ahead of you are domestiques or even Thomas was still there ahead of him, the rider that launched the initial attack there, but obviously wasn't going to have another sprint left afterwards. So had to go around that person to move to the line then that's how you lose a race man and yeah Vanderpool would likely have won if Alaphilippe didn't attack because he'd have more time to move up and I still think that, Al- that Almeida would 100% be caught either way but yeah I think Vanderpool lost it today rather than uh than Alaphilippe win it perhaps which I don't know is that a sentence yeah I think yeah I think that's right to be honest um I just, it's such a great stage. I, I was a little bit confused by what Ineos did, I guess. They worry about um, Almeida having seconds on GC ahead of Bernal um, at the end there. But yeah, here's the results. Alaphilippe first, Van der Poel second, Wafan up third, Pogaccia fourth. I mean, what a what a lineup. One, two, three, four. Aaron Buru. Aaron Buru fifth. Yeah, best of the rest, I guess. Standard <laughs> six, Almeida held on for seventh, Greg Van Avermaet eighth, Wellens ninth, Ciccone tenth, Vendrame eleventh, Bernal twelfth, just finished in front of Thomas thirteenth, Igita Benji fifth, fourteenth. Aliotti. Aliotti fifteenth, but you'd think Igita would be better on a finish like this. Yeah, I think that we're overrating a bunch of it this year because. Yeah, I think in UAE as well, his punch was not where we expected it to be. And no. today, neither. I don't know. But uh, who's also there, 27th, the legend himself, Michael Goggle. <laughs> but the people who lost time today were um, Simon Yates, a minute and 22. So he's out of GC. He's done for GC. Uh, so that's just really strange. But, yeah, 
Juan Van Aert keeps his lead on the his leader's jersey by four seconds ahead of Alaphilippe, who moves up 135 places into second. Van der Poel third on GC, eight seconds back. So in terms of Van Aert's lead on the GC contenders, he's got a 14-second lead on Pogacar, four seconds ahead of Alaphilippe, if you count him as that. 11 and 13 ahead of Sivakov and Lander, respectively. And, yeah, 14s pretty much against the uh, the main contenders, Quintana, Bernal, etc. Uh, but what, you know, we are being treated by Torino Adriatico already. It's been like this for years. It's just, it's such an exciting race. And even tomorrow is not a simple stage yeah. either. Uh, from Montechiano to Gualdo Tadino. It's also a mosquito trying to get me. No, not today, buddy. Not today. <laughs> Don't edit out that violence, Benji. Montechiano to Gualdo Tadino, 219Ks, long stage. It's uh, it's rolly for the like really rolly for the first third of it. Then there's the Poggio della Croce climb, the only main one, 4.4Ks at 7.5% in the middle of the stage. Intermediate sprint, about 165Ks in. And then the finish. Finish is tricky again. I'm going to need to go on the Flamme Rouge website and see this, Benji. It's not a, it's not a climb, but it's undulating, so we can't say it's a fake news climb. But it's like 1.7 k's at 3.1 percent. Fake and, news um, flat section. Yeah, I don't know. It's just so weird. This finish. I'm going to need to go study it properly and look at it like every 200 meters. But I think the same names: Wout Mathieu van der Poel, Alaphilippe, Adam Baru. I, I think tomorrow will suit the, the proper sprintier guys or like sprinter puncher guys more than today. Or do you think that? Yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty sprinty. And I think there's one man that I push forward. And I think there's another man that we also push forward that we also pushed forward yesterday. And those are uh, Van Der Poel and Van Aert. I think this fits Van Aert better personally, but I wouldn't okay. be surprised if Van Der Poel's up there as well. What? Caleb Ewan? Hmm, actually, I th- oh, it's difficult because like two years ago and every single time he goes on Hatterdam, you would say yes, but it's not super simple, is it? The, f- the final kilometer looks flat or like 0.51%. Hmm. It's, it's from, the steeper parts are from three to one and there's a flatter set. Oh no, more like from two to one. If you can just make that, so I think Ballerini Benji. Have you heard of him? He's been pretty good in the preseason, early season. Yeah, he didn't look as good today. Ballerini. This looks. This reminds me of the Tour de la Provence stage two finish, Benji, which Ballerini won a little bit uh, up and down. Oh, it's going to be a good finish tomorrow. I can't wait. You think breakaway? It's such a long stage, two hundred and twenty-one k's. You're the you're the breakaway whisperer. You've got a lot of climbs early. Could be difficult to control. Yeah, they can definitely try to set something up, but it's going to be relatively simple, I think, for Yumbo to control it until the climb. Foss is there, and you've also got... Um, who was the other guy today? Well, they've got two people that they had today Rose. after the climbing, which means and that Hesling. it depends on how fast that crotch is getting ridden in the middle of the stage again, and that will decide if they have enough people to keep controlling it after the hill. But I think they can do it, man, like... It's one proper hill in the middle of the parkour, and then it's false flat terrain with some smaller hills that likely won't influence the likes of a jumbo. So, yeah, I think that they'll be able to control the race jumbo. I don't think a break well will succeed. Yeah, I think that the likes of Pogacar also 
I think that he'll just he'll just wait until the mountain stage. He he knows he's one of the better riders there, so he he probably trusts himself to drop Fanat there. I'm looking to see big gaps on GC. Betiol, nine minutes back. Mark Padun, Bodnar, they're all options. Madvert Schmidt, Christopher Yul Jansen, Thibaut Pino lost nine minutes, maybe deliberately Benji. Lillian Kalmajan, Puccio for Ineos, Nils Betez. Oh, I reckon a pretty strong break might get away. I think I think a breakaway could be a decent option, um, but who knows. Um, but, yeah, that was a great Torino stage today. And I think it'll be an even, a really good one again tomorrow. They're pretty lucky, RCS, I think, with the quality of field they've got lining up at Terreno Adriatico. But before we get on to Paranis, I just want to mention our show partner, Lacole, www.lecol. I want to mention, you might have seen this on their Instagram, if you follow them on IG, that they've got a Lacole Project 200-200 Strava Challenge. So if you complete, join their Strava Club, complete 200 minutes of activity, you earn a 50-pound reward and convert it into currency, your currency. So that's probably a lot of AUD. I uh, haven't looked at the exchange rate recently. Plus, you get entry into a raffle for one of the Drops the Coal team bikes, one of the Ribble Cycles Drops the Coal team bikes. So I think if you complete 100, right of 100, of 200 Ks rather, after joining that reward to riding program, uh, that also increases your chance of winning that bike. So you can see all that info on the Lacole website or through the link on their Instagram. But on to Paris-Nice. Now, Benji, stage five from Vienna Bolen, a transition stage, 200.2 Ks. What, what were the things of note during the stage? Because not even anyone wanted to get in a breakaway. It was that windy. Yeah, at the start, it was a very, very slow tempo because they started off in a clear headwind. Towards the end of the stage, it started to speed up because the wind was coming from there behind. And... Yeah, I think that the only thing notable was a Belgian revolution halfway to stage. Come on, man. That's the most important thing that happened in cycling since since the 20th stage of the Tour last year. We had a breakaway with 10, 11 Belgians at a certain point. It only lasted like two minutes, but Campenard, Steven, Turn, Gilbert, De Gendt, De Klerk, Lampard, De Wolfs, Nassen, De Bond, Verwake. Crazy times. Genuinely, we're living in a meme. But um, they didn't survive long, so that's sad. Oh, yeah, there was, a, I guess, a Tony Martin crash midway through the stage. I'm not sure what caused it. He then abandoned. Primoz Roglic went down as well, but went, got back up and on his bike. Just a weird stage. 31Ks an hour average for the first hour or so on a flat stage like this. Just rough. <laughs> they didn't get lucky with the wind direction today, the race organisers. But, yeah, the... I tuned in Benji and I was like, I saw Quickstep lined up and I was like, this is this is done, <laughs> pretty much, because they after missing out on, or was it stage two? Yeah, missing out on stage two and Merku and Bennett were too deep on the corner. They were out for blood today. But yeah, why don't you run us through the uh, the final inevitable sprint? So I think everybody that watched Baronese tuned into Tirana with about eight hundred meters to go. We've been watching it with one eye for uh, for quite a bit beforehand, but. The last sprint, I think the real important moment started with a good 1.3 kilometers to go. We had that occurring train on the left side of the road. We had Bennett in the wheel first. And once they moved up, he started getting a bit of trouble with other people. And we noticed that there were riders left and right of their train that were trying to take the position of Bennett 
on the back of his train. And he kind of let that happen at a certain point. He used a shoulder at a certain point to try and push the right rider to the side and then actually lost that wheel. I think in the progress of doing that shoulder, the dude on the left got in the way and actually got the position that Bennett had on his train. So Bennett was unhappy about that and decided to furiously sprint headwind uh, on the left side of the road against the wind whilst everybody into his train again. Yeah, he like full on sprinting that late. I was like, wow, he must have really, really good legs to move up in that sense and not try and move up in the bunch to go around everybody. But I guess he was allowed to slot back onto Merku's wheel with uh, like 900 meters to go. I don't think you often have it this season already that you've got one team that can control the sprint from start to finish. And the Koenig really did that here. And once Merku hit the front, Bennett in his wheel, you you know that it's going to be really difficult for any other sprinter to come around. Bauhaus was, I think, in fourth or fifth wheel. We had Buhani just behind Bennett's wheel and another Arkea rider just on the right of Buhani. So at a certain point, you had like two De Koenigs and then two Arkeas at the front. And Merku went out of the front. Bennett smashed forward. We saw that Merku going out of the front meant that the riders behind Merku had a rough time getting around them. I think that Bauhaus was the rider most affected by that, had to stop sprinting for a bit and then go around Merku to move and actually make a sprint happen again. Buhani tried to keep himself in the wheel of Bennett, tried to come around for a tiny bit, but it really never happened. Bennett took the victory here and it was basically, yeah. Textbook stuff. I know, right? It's like we saw the UAE to the same shit over and over, uh, over again. It was the one where, it was the one where Merku did the proper lead out on the right hand side, dropped Bennett off. I'm getting attacked by mosquitoes. I'm not having a good time. Dropped Bennett off with 150 to go and opened up on the right hand side. And already you saw Merku behind putting the hands up to celebrate <laughs> the Bennett win. And this is the thing about how much better Bennett is than all these other sprinters. He had to sprint with like 1,200 meters to go. Usually that would completely take any other of the sprinters here out. They wouldn't finish in the yeah. top 10. Secondly, he didn't actually get dropped off that late. And I think maybe they had a tailwind actually in the finish because yeah. they were on like 65 before in like the last 10Ks for this race. But he still didn't get dropped off that late. And he had Buani right in his wheel. And other riders in his wheel, and they, when he kicked, they're like struggling to hold his wheel. And I think Ewan's the only one in the world that can beat him from that point, and he needs everything to go his way. And even then, you know, it's 50 50. So dominant from Bennett today, just like he drew up. I'm going to make the highlight video again of Bennett winning. I'm not sure I have too much insightful to say. Just keeps happening. It's like my fifth one I've had to make this month. Uh, Terreno would have been slightly more <laughs> more of a complex video. Top 10 was Bennett first, Buani second, Ackerman third, his best result for a while, Bauhaus fourth, Nizzolo fifth, Christoph sixth, Cocard seventh, Laporte eighth, Barbier ninth. It seems that they're sprinting for Barbier now, Israel Startup Nation, and Danny Van Poppel for Intermarche tenth. Yes, but two, two things I want to mention. Actually, more than two things, Benji. Mads Pedersen twelfth. Even though Trek were up there in with two Ks to go, I don't know what happened. Arno Demar, 13th. What, what's going on? Demar basically went backwards, and I can't really add too much on that aspect, but I can add that the moment that Bennett started moving up and had that trouble with a good 1.2 kilometers to go, that made it so that the rider that was 
I think, well, actually, no, because Bennett had to, like, break a tiny bit, get loose of his train, and then sprint around. The moment that Bennett got loose of his train and kind of was two riders behind his own train, Peterson was behind Bennett. So that caused Peterson to be, like, two positions further as well. And Peterson basically lost five positions because Bennett moved back at that point to try and sprint around. Peterson didn't follow Bennett sprinting around because it looked outrageous. It was like, oh, my God, he's doing a sprint already. It's one kilometer to go. But um, it was clearly to get back on his train. And, uh, <laughs> he was sprinting already. <laughs> anyway. It's too easy uh, otherwise. It's too easy. If he's just in the train, you know, it's not even, he's probably getting losing fitness. He's got to get, get you got to do two sprints. He's got to do intervals. Bennett yeah. right now in preparation <laughs> for the tour. I can't, I can't wait to back Case Bowl in every sprint if he goes to the Tour de France because he'll be, people will look at his results and be like, is this guy even a sprinter? He never comes. <laughs> and he's got these random wins. He's got like one win. But like when he gets it right, he can win and he's actually quick yeah. enough to win. He just is like, eh, if I can't win, I'm not even contesting the sprint. He came five seconds back. It wasn't even in the same time. Coming 24th. Like what? what is it with DSM and Case Bowl? Because there's no reason this finish shouldn't suit him. I think that it's not only his results that are consist- inconsistent, but also the way their train works. Uh, they don't often get him to the front enough, and they always trust on their train fully to bring his ball to the front. And I think that's a real issue, because the moment that your train starts failing, you need to be flexible, and you need to try and figure out what to do about it. And case ball was not in a good position because of the train and didn't really attempt to move forward too much more afterwards, because... It's the same thing as the first stage, to be honest. I think in the first stage, he was 30 or 32nd. So pretty similar scenario. I kind of, uh, yeah, I kind of I think mean, it's a train. No, certain Kral Anderson, I think he's not there. He had a bad back or something. So that's not really an excuse, to be honest. Like if, you know, Christoph's got no lead out just about, uh, maybe he's got really Oliveira, like, I still think Case Bowl should be able to follow his own wheels like Cockard and Laporte. Like he shouldn't be getting beaten by Laporte in all these sprints except the one he won. Like it's yeah, it's just strange to me. But um on his day, that's why I can't wait to back him, because I think he'll be undervalued uh in some races later. Not financial advice, Benji makes me say every time. But anyway, stage six tomorrow should be a bit more interesting from Brignol to be up two hundred and two Point four kilometers medium mountain stage got a i mean the categorized the categorizations are a whack let's be honest it's like a 3.2k climb at six percent there's a cat two like come on um and a 1.5 yeah so anyway it's pretty rolly though proper medium mountain stage up and down up and down all day code to cab cabri is one of the big climbs 8k's at five and a half percent 100k's in that then has a short plateau then they kick up again to the col de ferrier so that's really actually 12k's of consistent climbing to the top maybe even more that's four and a half k's at 6.7 percent descent two more short climbs 3k's at five four k's at four long descent for about 30 or 25 kilometers to roquefort le pain uh, where I think Benji's got a holiday home that he shares with Leo DiCaprio, then a rolly finish for 18 kilometers, and then an uphill, um, yeah, uphill finish to Biot, which is quite a nice area. I'm led to believe. I'm trying to look at the uh, the finish climb, Benji. 
uh, it's like 2Ks of climbing. The first 500 to 700 meters is not so steep. Actually, I know because ASO sent the profile. Um, it's like 5% for the first K and then 5.5% average for the last K of this finish. Too hard for, for Matthews? Am I, I picked Matthews in the preview. Do you think he can do it the way he's climbing? No, I definitely think he can do it. Uh, it seems to be a relatively perfect finish for him. The problem is that I don't know how they'll do it because after the climb, well, well, let's say Hamilton and him are the only people left. Hamilton will never pace for matches. We saw it yesterday. Take him so, out, Lucas. <laughs> yes. Come on, Lucas. You can do it. <laughs> anyway, like next to him, uh, perhaps a Shockman, a Groshartner, and stuff like that. That Roglic himself, to be honest, at certain points could also do it. But might it not be a breakaway day with like a pure half stage descent towards the finish line, pretty much with like two bumps in the road. <laughs> Mark Soler's not here though. That's the problem. Uh, for, <laughs> yeah. And the people that I would say for that would be like Yon Izagira, but he's 40 it's seconds back. Almost the end. tomorrow? Surely he's lost a lot of time. Only looking up. 14 What's minutes. minute 22 left? today. Yeah. Freyle, 13 minutes back. Um, Hausler, nah. I'm just messing. I just had to <laughs> to be honest. Oh, don't. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's gonna win Roubaix. I told you so. <laughs> okay, okay. Remy Cavagna, seven minutes thirty back. Lutschenko, six minutes twenty-six back. Lutschenko's not a bad shout. Jungels is in this weird spot, right? Like he's two minutes forty back. He's got no chance on GC. Bob Jungels. So the only thing he can get out of this race anymore is breakaway win in a stage because I don't think he's strong enough. Uh, he's not strong. He hasn't showed he's strong enough in a finish like this at the moment. So what's the point in being two minutes 40 back? No one has the hmm. answer. Yep. Benji doesn't True. have it. There is no answer. It doesn't make sense. Greipel uh, might be riding for GC, but I don't know whether they'll let him get in a break. Depends. Uh, but I like Matthews for tomorrow. I think he's climbing differently to previous times in his career. He told us last year he's lost like five to six kilos. That Sharubla climb was hard, Benji. Like Bennett, when I went back and watched the finish, like Bennett and Kreuzweig were pacing hard on those steep sections. And Matthews' surge towards the intermediate sprint, he kicked so hard. And yeah, it ended up dropping himself. Like I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> it made no sense. But the point is he was able to do that at the end of about four to five Ks of hard climbing. The problem is tomorrow is a lot of sustained climbing. So it looks like a hard Catalonia stage that's sort of the ones he's won previously. So he needs, the problem is, okay, we're talking about a breakaway, Benji, Sharkman, Tish Benoit. Do they try something on one of those, on the, at the top of the Côte de Gordin and the, uh, or the Cipierre? Is that where? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they have to. I think they have to. I think those are the two people that I do expect doing something on the stage. This kind of reminds me of the Tour de Rome in these stages that Abbasini dominated in the past. Like having a climb in the middle of the stage and the small hill at the end. Every single time he'd win, like three stages in a row sometimes. And I think this really reminds me of that. Uh, but anyway, I, I think tomorrow's stage could be the most interesting of Paris-Nice so far tactically. I really hope the other GC contenders try something. I'll be disappointed if... They accept fighting for podium positions on Colmia on, uh, what is it, Friday now? Um, my time zone's whacked. On the weekend. I'll just say on the weekend. <laughs> anyway, I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the Paris-Nice 
wrap up some pretty exciting racing today and some good racing coming up on the weekend. If you want to support the podcast, you can obviously check out our show partner, LaCole, through the link below. You can like the YouTube videos. People don't really like the YouTube videos, Benji. I know they like them, and we put we put so much more effort in, into I'm not whinging, but we do put a lot more effort into the YouTube videos. He's complaining yeah. again, guys. <laughs> uh, last year, we used to just get the audio file, slap a background on, and, and upload it. Now, it's actually got to edit it kind of like a normal video that I'd make or you'd make. Um, so, yeah, if you like those, then, yeah, comment on them or, or like them. I guess, or leave us a review on Chartable. We want to hit a thousand reviews on Apple Podcasts. I think it is, or all podcast platforms that have reviews before Criterium de Dauphiné is an arbitrary date I just set. So, um, yeah, a thousand reviews before then. Even if <laughs> <laughs> they got to be five stars though, if they're not five stars, then just pretend your phone doesn't work. Um, but that's it for us today. We'll see you tomorrow. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 